Welcome to Viewpoints with Brenda. I'm your host, Brenda Ntambirwechi, and on this podcast, you'll hear plenty of conversations with African professionals, changemakers, innovators, influencers, and entrepreneurs from all sectors. My guest today is Isaac Kwaku Fokua Jr., a leading advisor to governments, investors, and leading multinational companies on navigating and expanding in emerging growth markets. Isaac is the founder and principal of Boto Emerging Markets Group, an investment and strategy advisory firm with offices in Nairobi, Dubai, and Chicago. With two decades of experience working in 20 markets across North America, Europe, Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, Isaac has an extensive and successful track record in investment facilitation, strategy consulting, and policy advisory across sectors. Isaac is also an angel investor to startups based in Africa and the Middle East and co-founder of the Amahoro Coalition, an initiative convening private sector firms in Africa to accelerate the economic inclusion of refugees. Isaac is also a 2014 Desmond Tutu Fellow, a trustee of Hanover College, advisor to China Africa Tech Initiative, and serves on several boards. So Isaac, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. You have quite an interesting CV and bio, and a little bit more about the Emerging Markets Group. Wow, Brenda, that thank you for having me today. That introduction was was quite generous. I'm not sure that everything you said is everything that I do, but I will I will take your word for it. So both Major Markets Group, we are, as I said, you know, we are a, I guess we call ourselves a, a strategy advisory firm, but truly the truth is that we are problem solvers. One of my key observations on the African continent, especially, which is sort of the nucleus of the work that we do, is that you cannot be a company or be a firm that, especially in the space we work in, that is overly specialized in one particular area. So one has to create modules that allow you to be, I guess, multidimensional in your problem solving skills. So we work in a myriad of industries. As you mentioned, we work with governments, we work with private sector, we work with humanitarian organizations, SMEs, what have you. Not because we don't want to be deep, but because we believe that on the continent, our problems are so complex and so interwoven that one has to be wide and deep at the same time. And so that's what we try to do, and that's what we try to bring to market to our clients across the continent and other places. And also one more thing about us, I guess we are a company grounded and firmly rooted in Africa, but we also believe that you know part of the work that we do has to do with creating a narrative that presents Africa in the way that, how do I say this, in, in, in a way that allows Africa's role in the geopolitical space to be evident, right? And by that, we focus on the global south. So we have a lot of relationships with with companies and you know countries such as you know India, China, Brazil, and the UAE, Saudi Arabia, places like that, where these are countries that we believe have relationships with the continent in a special way, or things that we can have shared value that we can either learn from and or bring some models of uh, development to bear. And so we, we we focus on some of those regions. So just talking a little about Africa. What sectors do you think present the top five opportunities for investment? Oh, wow. I mean, that's that's like the uh, quintessential African question, right? Look, I, I think there are many opportunities in Africa, right? I, I think that the fact that currently we, and you and I were having this conversation earlier before we started this podcast, the fact that currently we represent less than, I believe, 3% of global GDP tells you that there's a lot of growth opportunity on the continent. Pre-COVID, I believe six out of the 10 fastest growing economies in the world are in Africa. And this was, I think, pre-COVID. I'm not sure what that number looks like now. So that being the context, I think there's a lot of opportunities in the continent. But I think specifically, if I was to pick a few areas, 
I will say that right now, for us, one of the areas that's really exciting is in the healthcare space. But healthcare, not just in hospitals per se, but also like in biotech and things around personalized medicine, things around with COVID being the elephant in the room. Anything that relates to this conversation around COVID, whether it's in vaccine production, whether it's in there's anything related to the supply chain of COVID PPEs, other health infrastructure that supports the public health pandemic we're going through right now. I think I think those are very interesting areas. I think education continues to be exciting. Exciting not because necessarily that I'm a big advocate of, say, universities or any of these sort of traditional models, but I think that we have an opportunity as a continent to leapfrog traditional models of education. And some of the ed tech platforms that are coming out, I think, are super exciting. And I think that's another area that I think is very, very intriguing and exciting for investors to look at. Also related to medical steps or healthcare, again, is things around the, the pharmaceutical space. Africa has been a net importer of medicine for a very long time, and we're seeing a move toward local manufacturing of generics and and other, and, and, and other products. I think that's another thing around healthcare that's exciting. So also healthcare education is exciting. Obviously, agriculture is exciting, not just also, you know, say large-scale food production, but also what I call niche production around, say, superfoods. You're seeing, you know, clients going into things like macadamia, things around cashews, avocado, and what, what have you. And not just for exports, but for, for, for local consumption. I think those three areas are quite exciting for investors to look at to look at these days. The last two, since you asked me for five, I will throw in obviously things around tech, not so much the fintech thing, because I think the fintech thing is a bit saturated right now from my perspective. But I do think innovations around technology, around gamification, around content production, around using technology, technology to provide content to people. You know, content is one of the areas that I think is increasingly growing. We are one of the few places left in the world where we are still consuming content from the outside. If you look at India uh, as an example, say same in West uh, country continent, I get the difference. But say population population wise, Indians consume Indian content. Actually, Indian streaming services are bigger than some of the Indian streaming services are bigger than Netflix in their own country. And a lot of what they are consuming are uh, local content. In Africa, we still have a ways to go in that space where we're producing our local content for our local audience. But also, more importantly, not just local content for local audience, but local content that transcends jurisdictions, right? So if I sit in Ghana and I produce a show, can that show be seen in Uganda or Namibia and Zimbabwe or Nairobi? And there'll be some resonance. And then if you ask Africans, Africans will say, well, we're very unique. And I, the response I give is that, well, when when an American show like Top Gun or an American movie like Delta Force or I don't know, some, some American show came into Africa, no one said, well, that doesn't fit in Zimbabwe or that doesn't fit in Ghana. We all watch the same shows. We watch the Cosby shows, we watch you know, the Jeffersons, all these shows we watched. And so why can't we create Africa shows across Af- Af- different African platforms? I think th- those are the ones that I would say, uh, for me, are, are exciting. Uh, and again, fifth element along to what I just said right now is anything in the creative space. In the creative space, I'm talking about, yes, traditional creativity around artistry, but also the business of creativity, the business of fashion and design, the business, not just, you know, boutique fashion shops, but how do we build industry around fashion and what does it really look like? How do we build industry around sports? You know, the kicking and throwing is great, but also the business of sports and, and things along that I think are also quite fascinating. And I think those are the sectors that, I, for me, are quite exciting on the continent right now. Yeah. So speaking of, of the pandemic, obviously it's affected the outlook for economies around the world and, you know, obviously economies in Africa. So how has this impacted investment decisions for the group and where do you expect to experience like the strongest growth or post-pandemic recovery? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it's a question that we all have been asking ourselves over the last year and a half. An analogy I give, and probably this is not 
the most appropriate analogy, but I, I will give it anyway because I think it's apropos to this conversation, is that I, I think what COVID has done is reveal things around businesses, right, and the business environment. And so what that means is that, you know, just like as humans, if you generally speaking have a pretty good immune system, you're generally healthy, COVID can rock your world, but chances are you probably pull through it with all things being equal and with, you know, with the universe looking out for you. But if your immune system is very compromised and you are, you know, as, as we all know, COVID affects the elderly a bit, a bit harsher than younger people, all those kinds of things, then, you know, obviously the way the virus affects you is going to be very different. And I think the same analogy can be applied for businesses. I think businesses that pre-COVID had a weak immune system have probably struggled a lot more than businesses that had a pretty healthy immune system. And so even though we've all been affected, I think businesses have been affected differently based on where they were before COVID started. And for those businesses that, I'll say, had a healthier immune system, they've been able to pivot and create opportunities and, and, and opportunities that have been that have been quite phenomenal. And this is, the, this is true globally. And I think the same thing is also true for Africa. That's one thing. The second thing is that I think African businesses by nature, by design, by who we are, we're extremely resilient in the way we run our businesses because if you think about it, a typical SME in the African continent, as, as we all, you know, as you, be, you uh, will test to as well, is that, you know, think of cycles of payments from, from your customers. Think of supply chains. Everything, everything takes time. You don't get paid right away. You don't get the parts right away. You don't. So African business people are used to being creative in the way they run their businesses, waiting and using money here, using money there, using opportunities here to actually make things work. So I think because of that, I actually personally believe that our, our businesses that have the quote-unquote decent immune system are going to come out of this thing quite healthy and quite robust because they've learned to be very creative and very adaptable over the last year and a half. Now, the question on investments, I think the same thing is, the same thing is true. What industries are going to emerge? I think the industries that are going to emerge are industries that have been able to be to show resilience during this time and all the ones that have they had the runway and now had the opportunities. For instance, things around delivery services and the whole e-commerce revolution across the continent. Pre-COVID, we're all talking about e-commerce. We're talking about food delivery. We're talking about everything delivery. And this wasn't happening. Well, with COVID, we, we've had no choice. So the delivery systems, sorry, delivery the mechanisms of delivering product to people has increased tremendously. Now, I don't know that that's going to stay forever in terms of, say, food delivery. But what's going to happen, I, I believe, is that Businesses in that space can now pivot to other things from now to more B2B delivery mechanisms or and maybe less B2C over time. And I think some of that is here to stay. I think the same thing is true. I mentioned healthcare earlier. I think the same thing is true for healthcare, which is that we've realized through COVID that, you know what, we, we need to fix the healthcare systems. And I, I, some people are doing it. Not all countries are doing it. Not all businesses are doing it. But I think that investors are looking at that space increasingly for Africa. You are seeing now... We've been talking about vaccine production for a very long time, long time on the continent. All of a sudden, you're seeing real production about to happen in this space. So I think that's another area where you're going to you're seeing an emerging growth in that space. I think almost any industry you pick around around logistics and supply chains and, and health systems are going to come out of this thing quite well. The same thing applies around telecommunications, data. You're seeing more and more companies talking around having investments going into the space around how do we build more capacity around broadband, around the last mile, around the second mile. I mean, we, we have the fiber, it's around the continent, that's fine, but how do you go from around the ocean, from Djibouti to whatever, to the second mile to the last mile? And so I think more of those investments are going in, and I think that's a good thing that we're seeing across the continent. For us also, we are seeing movements around 
investments into something I alluded to earlier around education technology. I think that's also something that we've seen more and more, more and more investments uh, going into over the last year and a half. So I think those are some of the general areas that I've, I think have been interesting for us as, as an organization that we've been helping our clients invest more resources into and for companies that are looking for financial investments actually helping them reshape and restructure what they're doing to make sure that they are adding more value to their clients and giving shareholders what shareholders need so you have a very successful track record as an angel investor so how do you decide like what how do you find the companies the ideas and what are your key considerations mm. you know I, I guess i'm not a professional investor so i guess f- for me this angel investing thing was something that, like all things, you know, just like even Boto, we, I sort of leaned into because the need was there. And I think that's the theme with many things that I touch. What do I look at? The person, right? Truthfully, look, I think, Brenda, at the end of the day, when you invest in a business, you invest in, well, I am investing in the, the person that I met. The ideas, you know, the ideas are there plenty. You know, <laughs> Africans are creative. People are creative, people have ideas. But ideas don't make you money. Ideas don't bring return. Ideas don't create jobs. Is the work that you put into it. And so for me, the first time I look at the person, do I feel like I can work with you? Do I like you as a person? Do I respect you? Do I respect what you're, what you're bringing to the table? I think those are, for me, some of the very fundamental things that I look at. That actually goes beyond the, do the numbers look right, that whatever, whatever. I mean, I think those things, those things are more mechanical, right? You can you can make anything look whatever you want to look at. So for me, yeah, I think the person's a big thing. And then the team behind the person. You know, sometimes what you realize are across the continent is that you have really amazing founders but they don't have great teams, right? And the gap between the founder and the team is quite, the delta is quite large. And so then you ask yourself, gosh, you know, this person has a really good idea, but surely they can't implement this by, they can't implement this by themselves. So what is the team behind them? How's the team going to do? And also even sometimes with the team, then the next, next question I ask myself is that, is this founder someone who is able to create a learning environment, create an environment where the team can either learn from him or her, or provides a space for people to go, to be creative and show initiative themselves? You know, and, and, and this comes to the whole mentality around, I'm the boss, I'm the ogre, you know, uh, it's my business, take it or leave it kind of thing. And so I tend to invest in businesses that have a collaborative approach to, do, to run a business, founders who are, who are able to show vulnerability and say, look, I just don't know. I'm not sure about what I'm doing here. I need help. Also, leaders have some steel, right? They, they have a hustle mentality. It's one thing to say, I don't know, but you have to figure out, you have to figure it out. <laughs> and so I think the mix of the, the hustle and the mix of the hustle with the vulnerability, with the touch of a great team, for me, is always an interesting recipe. And then I look at the industry. There are some industries that I'm not overly excited about, and there's some industries I'm very excited about. I think the industries I mentioned to you, you know, right now, one of our, one of our investments is a fantastic biotech company in Ghana that is looking at genomes. If I may just share this real quick, look, from what I understand, close to 90x percent of global genomes come from Caucasian samples. And for when it comes to black, black, brown, brown and black people, we don't have enough of these DNA samples out there to create personalized medicine. What that means for our health and what that means for the way we live is that increasingly over and over again, people of color are going to be at a, at a disadvantage in terms of medicine that's created and curated for them, right? The traits, for instance, when it comes to say breast cancer, the traits in a Caucasian woman that produce breast cancer are fundamentally different from the traits in a black woman. And if we don't know what those are and we can't study those properly and map those properly, how do we create medicine and how do we come up with medicine that, that works for our, for our people? Also, as we know, the African genome is the most diverse in the world. But nobody's studying this stuff. Those kinds of businesses excite me. 
businesses around content, as I said earlier, streaming content. We all talk about the African narrative, Africa culture, Africa culture. Well, how do you convert that Africa culture into currency? What does it look like? And who is going to do the hard work to do that? And so businesses that are creative around those conversations are businesses that attract me because I think that they're exciting, I think they're different. They're a bit high risk, I get, but I think that for me, the teams, the, the founders and people who are around those, those conversations excite me and those are the kinds of investments that I make as an angel investor. So what would you consider to be the greatest risk facing investors who are looking to Africa as an emerging market? What is the biggest risk facing investors looking at Africa? I will say that I, I don't know what that is. And this is why I say that. Africa is no more riskier as a continent than any emerging market space. Ghana isn't any more riskier than, I don't know, Indonesia or wherever. Kenya isn't any, any more riskier than Colombia. The problem for me is that foreign investors especially have this perceived risk of Africa. And the way that channels out is this idea somehow that it's almost like a, how do I say it? It's almost like a, um, an ingrained thought that never goes away. And no matter what we do, somehow that thing doesn't go away. So people say Africa is bureaucratic. Okay, I'll give you that. But so is India. So, so is Brazil. But guys, go to, guys invest in India every day. So is China. If you're telling me that Uganda or Kenya or Ghana or South Africa, or pick any African country, are you telling me that any of these African countries I just mentioned are more bureaucratic as a space than a Brazil or an India or a China to do business? Right? And then the second thing become, they say is, well, political risk. That's okay. What, what about political risk? Well, what if I go invest and they expropriate? And I say to them, tell me an African country you've been in to invest that some government took your money. Just tell me which country that is. Now, we know in some of these other markets, which are not in Africa, it's extremely difficult to get Forex out. Now, yes, in some African countries, Forex controls their problem. I get that. But there are 54 of us. And so you don't have to go to that particular country. The other countries you can go invest in where you can take your money in and take your money out freely. And then they say, what about the returns? What are the returns? Well, again, like, like we said earlier, pre-COVID, six out of 10 of the fastest growing economies in the world are in Africa. You want returns? The returns are there. The last thing to talk is data. Data is a risk. Well, if you're looking for data, you will find data. As an, as an angel investor, as someone in the advisory space, I'm yet to find an industry where we haven't been able to either find the data, triangulate the data, or whatever, as I would in other markets. The same thing applies in some of these same emerging markets that we're talking about, whether it's somewhere in Latin America, whether it's somewhere in Southeast Asia or South Asia or wherever. You can't tell me that somehow Bangladesh as a country has much more data, whatever, than Kenya or Ghana or Uganda or South Africa. All these countries have gaps and somehow investors find ways around the gaps. How do you build the largest textile industry in the place of Bangladesh? But we can do the same in East Africa. We have oceans, we have seas, we have, we have labor. So what's the issue? So I think the biggest risk for me for investors is themselves. And I think that once people get out of, out of their own way, they see those still opportunities. Now, having said that, one of the things that I say on the Africa side is that we, we also have to do a better job of making our countries and our cities more warm to visit from a tourist perspective because most investors who invest in places they like, places they enjoy visiting, right? I don't know anybody who invests blindly in a random place that I don't know anything about. And yes, we have awesome places in Africa people to visit, but I think we need to share that more with the world. We need to share with the world the beauty of our countries. We need to share with the world the beautiful nature our countries possess. That if someone wants an ecotourism 
adventure holiday, they come to an African city to do that and they can hop around to do that. We need to share amongst ourselves that I can come to one East African country and go to two or three or four and have an amazing time in all those three countries because I'm flying so far to come to it. And the more people see the beauty of our continent, the more people see the beauty of our land, the more they'll fall in love with the place and they want to spend more time there and they want to invest there. And then finally, not a risk on the investor side, but again on our side, our local business people have to do more to invest in our own economies. And this result is mixed in different places. In some parts of Africa, that's very well. In some parts of Africa, wealthy Africans are still busy investing outside of Africa. Again, one must diversify their portfolio, nothing wrong with that. And for those who invest locally, we need to pop them up. We need to amplify them. If we have local investors in our, in our, in our, in our countries who are investing locally, we must prop them up for the world to see them. Everywhere else in the world, everyone talks about their investors. Bill Gates is an American investor. Warren Buffett is an American investor. Americans talk about them till kingdom come. Africans have champions as well. We have our own, our own business tycoons. We, are, we have our own policy tycoons. We must do our part as a, as a continent to prop these people up because when the world sees them and the world sees more of our people who are in those spaces, who are the big investors, who transcend different borders, and there are many of them, then it also becomes an attractive place for me to go and come invest. And I think we could, we could do a better job at that. Yeah. Sorry, that wasn't really a risk answer. I kind of no. I I really I, I actually and I, I really appreciate that response because I really I, I do agree with you about you know the stereotypes about the continent and how it's really up to us Africans to change these stereotypes and then at the same time for these people who who are coming onto the continent it's up to them to you know also remove that blockage in their brains and that perception of Africa that it's a hard dark continent. And yet it's not any more different than, you know, most other places. You're right. And, you know, I think there's this notion somewhere. And again, I'm not say, I'm not defending any ridiculousness on the part of, of people or of leaders or whatever in Africa. That's not, um, this is a very agnostic conversation around this topic, right? I think that a lot of times when I'm around other Africans and we're talking about our business leaders or political leaders, there's a lot of negativity that goes around that. Now, I'm not saying some of these guys don't deserve it. They probably do many times over. But at the same time, we, we need to balance the conversation that when they do something right, we give them credit. And this is why, look at it from the micro level. The more we talk about how crappy we are, how crappy our situation is, how crappy our systems are, how crappy everything is, and we never look at the, the other side of the conversation, well, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And so the same thing I think goes in investments. We have really amazing business leaders in Africa. How do they make their money? How did, I don't know how they make their money. But you know what? We can say the same, how do they make the money for every, every wealthy individual in this world? So at some point, the question becomes, well, okay, how do we use this, this, how do we use this, this, I don't know, these individuals and these people who are business leaders and business tycoons who are very wealthy, how do we engage with them and how do we find someone else from a different market to engage with? How do we find the wealthiest guy in Ghana to hang out with the wealthiest guy in Uganda to do a project together? How do we find the wealthiest person in Uganda with the wealthiest person in Sri Lanka to do a family office scheme together? What, what does that look like? So because we don't do that, also then these guys hide. And when they hide, then they hide the money. Well, we, we could use that money that came from wherever it came from to employ more Africans because we need jobs. <laughs> we need jobs to be created, right? And I think we, we need to sometimes look at these things from a non-emotional perspective and from a value-add perspective and say to ourselves, how do we use all these resources, the good, the bad, the ugly, to create an environment that provides a situation that our youth populations 
unemployed. Not tomorrow, not five years from now. And we need to stop talking about this youth bulge and it's going to come. It's here. How do we employ people today? How do we train people today? How do we provide incentives so people who have money in their wallets, money in their pockets, money in their houses, give the money out for value to create opportunities? And then how do we invite others to the table? And that conversation, we don't have as often as I think we should. Yeah, it's it's really up to us. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Isaac. And if you want to hear more from Isaac, he does have his own podcast called The Afro Catalyst. It's amazing. He features all the people you would want to hear about, speaking about all sorts of things about Africa and more. So I don't know if you want to talk a little about Afro Catalyst. Thank you. Thank you for the plug. And for Catalyst, yes, it's a podcast that we put out. And Brenda, you, you're you going to come on it as a form of reciprocity. <laughs> so you can be in the hot seats. You can be in the hot seats as well. But I would love to make a quick plug for Amahoro, which is my refugee thing. Yes. And for everyone who is listening, Amahoro is a coalition of private sector actors with the goal of doing more in the space of livelihood and education for refugees across Africa. You know, the continent of Africa, I think really 45% of displaced people including highly inclusive for refugees uh, from Africa. And I think that these, a lot of these are individuals who know through faults of their own, have had to leave their homes and become foreigners in other post countries. And the amazing thing is that a lot of these individuals are hosted in Africa by African countries. Uganda is a world-class example of hosting of refugees, well, I mean, not just in Africa, but around the world. And many countries across the, across the continent have hosted a lot of refugees. Kenya does the same thing, Rwanda, Ghana at some point. I mean, a lot of African countries host refugees. But what we're trying to do, our main mandate is that we're trying to bring more private sector engagement to the conversation. And a lot of the private sector engagement in the refugee space is typically borne by international organizations, international international businesses. But I think the local, our local private sector actors on the ground can do more to provide, again, provide jobs, to advocate for right-to-work policies by government, and also, more importantly, help educate these young, young men and women. Because if we want to create a more prosperous Africa, we need to make sure everyone gets a fair shot. And if we don't help train and educate and, and create jobs and, and dignify jobs for refugees today, these conflicts are not going to go away. And when even the conflict goes away, people are going to go back to countries where they're just not ready to run and, and lead. And so we need to do our part to make sure that our brothers and sisters who are right now in unfortunate situations are able to get the desired effect of what they need. And in the process, also private sector benefits from the conversation. So anyway, that's what we do at Amahoro. And I wanted to share that with you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really amazing. That's amazing what you're doing with Amahoro. So thank you again, Isaac. And I look forward to collaborating further. Uh, it's been quite an enlightening conversation and I hope people will be more encouraged to invest in Africa. Thank you, Brenda. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Viewpoints with Brenda. To keep the conversation going, follow us on Instagram at Viewpoints by BN and follow me on Twitter at Kasabiti. That's K-A-S-A-B-I-I-T-I. To hear more conversations like this, follow the podcast, subscribe, like and feel free to leave us a rating. See you next time.